2: Coach Joyce here, I want this to be your best year ever. I want this to be my best year ever. I want this to be the best year ever for Dr. Bernie Siegel, his wife, his family. Folks, I want this to be the best year ever for all our friends worldwide. Welcome to Joyce, Barry, and Friends. We are broadcasting live across America and around the world. This is the hour to empower with stimulating talk, views you can use, memorable quotes, and powerful life lessons. We always have hot guests and cool topics. We even have cool guests and hot topics. You always want to tune us on, tune in, and tune up with us to hear the best of the best. You do not want to miss any of our shows. Each show goes into our archives. Log into JoyceBarryAndFriends dot com. Barry B A R R I E, and you will see each guest and each topic on our homepage. You can play and download any of our shows. Always informative, inspiring, and motivational. You want to share these special shows with your friends, family, and contacts. You can follow us on Facebook and become a Joyce Barry subscriber and even a fan. By going to our Joyce, Barry, and Friends fan page, be sure to check like. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us by going to our Blog Talk Radio homepage and clicking follow right below my picture. You can also message me in any of these venues about our show, about our guests, about anything. My official website is JoyceBarry.com. Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E. Welcome to the show today folks. What could be more important than the art of healing? Open your mind to all possibilities and beliefs, says Dr. Bernie Siegel, who is known and respected worldwide for his best-selling books and his extraordinary career. He is an internationally recognized expert in the field of cancer treatment and complementary holistic medicine. Today's show focuses on the art of healing, uncovering your inner wisdom and potential for self-healing. His advice on what you can do to beat cancer has helped people all over the world. Believe in your inner powers for healing and believe in miracles. Dr. Siegel will motivate you and inspire you you to get healthy and stay healthy. In May 2011 Bernie was honored by the Watkins Review of London England as one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people on the planet. He continues to break new ground in the field of healing, supporting changes in medical education to humanize medical practices. Today we will focus on Healing, What You Need to Know to Get Inspired. We are very blessed and very grateful to have with us today Dr. Bernie Siegel. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Joyce. See, I keep When you were introducing, I was thinking of a prayer <clears throat> um, that says, thank you for this day, thank you for this day, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us life, sustaining us, and helping us to reach this day. And so many psychotherapists now have things like, thank you for this day, I have no complaint whatsoever. I'm happy and healthy and I love my life. Um, That when you repeat those things, you end up feeling better. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of patients Because this one therapist said, you know, he tells people to say that, and they say it's not going to make any difference. What? what, So what else can I do? Keep going. And a few months later, they notice that they are changing. And uh, as you know, I never stop, you know, with my stories because things that I've tried. One was listening to a therapist say he tells his patients every morning when they get up to think of three things they're grateful for, and I put a unique little touch on it for myself as I'd go out walking the dog I'd say what on the first day of the month you pick the letter a and each day you pick the letter of the alphabet for the first 26 days and then I say we give you a few days off but what (laughs) I thought was interesting see that what made it tough is you can't repeat the second and third months what you said the first month. I mean, you have to find three different things with A. And what I noticed, of course, after a while was I'm working really hard to try to come up with things with certain letters. You know, uh, you can say with B, I like bananas. But the next month, that's too easy, so you can't think of that. What else is it? Um, And what made me then start smiling was I was spending a lot of time working At what I'm grateful for, you know, not walking the dog thinking, oh, what's wrong? What do I have to do today? (laughs) That's the ungrateful, you know, routine. Uh, But I so I started laughing and feeling better, thinking you're knocking yourself out, trying to find out what you're grateful for. Wait, excuse me,
2: Dr. Siegel, I just want to say one thing. I love the exercise, but what on earth did you come up with with X and Z?
3: Oh, I can't remember, but uh, believe me, I mean, it could be somebody's name. It could be Zelda. It could be a zoo. Um, You know, that's why I had to start searching to find uh, the different things, and uh, then you realize – I'm doing research on what I can be grateful for. So it could be, you know, geography. I mean, there was no nothing that was excluded from the list. You know, it could be the name of a city somewhere or some other, or even a drug that they have now, Zorelto that begins with an X. <laughs> now you'd say, why do you like that? Well, it helps people, you know.
2: <laughs> I really like that exercise. I'm going to start doing that as yeah. of today. I love it. All right. Very unique. Yeah, now that I think of it, uh, I put my mind to it. X is the easiest one. Extra this, extra that, extra. Yeah, you can play
3: games with it, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's a great exercise. I highly endorse it. So you do that to start your day. As your day moves along, what other positive things are you engaged in?
3: Well, it's. You know, to stop judging. I mean, yeah, I, I my morning is a time of meditation, I'm showing my gratitude, asking God to support me, talking to my parents who have died, and and you know, I always say my angels and ancestors. I talk to, um, you know, to focus me on becoming the person I want to be. I, 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 you know, I pause a minute because. Now and then, I'm happy about what I did yesterday, but most of the time, I am upset with myself that I wasn't loving enough. I wasn't caring enough. And yes, yeah, some of it, many years ago, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I always hear her voice saying to me, "Bodoni, you have needs too. So a lot of times, my anger is healthy anger, you know, to take care of myself. I often say that to patients, uh you know, there's appropriate anger. Are you? This is a sentence that you ask a patient. Are you able to express anger appropriately in defense of yourself? So if you're not treated with respect in the hospital, for instance, if you're called by your disease or your room number, you can say, hey, I'm a person. I'm not room 402. Uh, I'm not a gallbladder. Um, and so, you know, I, my whole life have been making noise when i don't like how i'm being treated or i need attention but that wears you out too um it's if you take care of yourself and speak up you don't have to wait to finally explode you know and uh hurt others uh with the anger um yeah i apologize always and consistently um, but still i 'd like to wake up in the morning and say, Hey, you did a good job yesterday. You were loving, you were caring, uh, you didn 't get angry, and uh, then I feel good about myself, and I think in many ways, the animals uh, are our role models. you know they 're not carrying everything with them. Each day, you start a new day, and I keep working at it let 's put it this way: I keep trying to live the sermon. Um, because I think that's the only way to do it. And many years ago, I found it very interesting. People would come up to me after a lecture or workshop say, we know we can trust you and what you're saying. i say, what are you talking about? You know you can trust me. Your wife is with you. Your children are in the audience. If you weren't speaking your truth, they wouldn't be here and i found that very interesting because it never occurred to me having your wife and children there listening to you was wasn't the normal thing <laughs> to do you know that you're real but then you begin to realize how many so-called famous people don't have anybody in front of them who's related to them and you wonder are they living the message at home that they're up there preaching Uh, Yes, I'm sure some of them are, but uh, you wonder if they all are, uh, if they don't have their people in front of them, the people in their lives sitting there in front of them listening.
2: One of the things you advocated that you do is meditation.
3: Mm. Uh,
2: How long do you meditate for and do you have a set time each day Uh, that you do that, and how would you say that helps people?
3: Well, I mean, for me, as I said, it's, for me, walking the dog is a meditation. The reason I walk the dog is so that I can get away from everybody and everything. Uh, You know, it's really walking myself. And the reason, the thing that that struck me about meditation and, and the symbol I use now is you need to quiet your mind. You hear this from almost all the authority figures, spiritual leaders. Um, you read it in many stories and myths and fairy tales. You look for a common theme. See, my animal intuitive friend, Amelia Kincaid, uh, who has helped me find lost animals using her consciousness, um, said to me, Bernie, you've got to quiet your mind. You can't start screaming your pet's name. So she was saying the same kind of thing. Joseph Campbell talked about a tiger brought up by goats when his mother dies. And when another tiger comes and says, Hey, Dumbbell, you're not a goat, you're a tiger. Where does he take him? To a still pond. He says, Look, you're a tiger. You look like me. And the ugly duckling sees he's a swan on the still pond. And so, again, to me, the meditation quiets your mind. So you stop the thinking. See, If the ugly duckling, he was a special little creature, because he didn't walk away from home after his mother threw him out, saying that rotten... Well, here's a quote from a patient of mine. My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. See, when she looked in the mirror, she never saw herself. She saw her mother's description of her, which was horrible. And after the cancer she became the authentic person she was meant to be, see? because her life is now threatened. She meets Bernie Siegel. He helps redirect her life, all these things, and that's when she began to see herself as a beautiful person, and uh, her mother dressed her only in dark clothes, literally, so nobody would notice her, and she went out, and as she said, bought a red dress and red high heel shoes, and that's the part. See, when you quiet your mind, you can look in the still pond, the mirror, and see the truth, see your true self. What I call you know, the child of How long would you recommend that
2: people meditate for is there? Oh,
3: the, for the lifetime. Oh, you mean the on short? No, no, no,
2: per it, day. Like what would you say uh it, is a good amount?
3: It's hard, you know. You can't do too much. So I'd say there's no limit. It's more about your life. So even if you could spend five or ten minutes interrupting your day and doing that, see, it quiets you down. It changes your body chemistry, um, literally, to find that meditative state, that, that quietness inside you and then lets you confront other things again. So, yeah, if somebody was at work, you could say, do it on the way to work in the morning, do it at your lunch break or any other breaks during the day, or if something really stressful happens, you can make an excuse, say, hey, I have to go to the bathroom, and then close yourself in the stall and meditate, and then come back out again. So, you know, you can find it to do it that way. And what I found was also that if you use the same place, And sometimes some background music, if if that's available to you, the slow, you know, quiet music, not distracting music, but something that helps sedate you. What they call slow baroque music, like uh, Pachelbel's Canon or something like that. That's
2: my favorite classical piece.
3: Yeah, that piece. See when you, yeah, I find there's a version I mentioned in one of my books, which is slower than the normal beat of the song. The only people bothered by that are musicians. Because they know that's not the way it was written. But I found, again, see, athletes have a healthy heart rate in the 60s. And so if you could bring that beat in, think about that. You know, I often said, why are there 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour? Who decided that? But think (laughs) what would happen if you're sitting with a clock going tick, 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 see? Because I often say, why did not somebody say 100 seconds? Because you listen to the tick, 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 your heart starts beating, you get anxious. But when you're listening to tick, 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 you relax. So bring that in too. And again, your body gets that, that message You know, to be at peace and to heal. And as I say, it changes your chemistry literally, whether it's meditating, laughter, um, love, all those things relationships, petting your dog, all those things change your internal chemistry and can help lead to long-term survival, Uh, whereas the anxiety, the fear, the worry, what do I got to do today? Uh, Yeah, years ago, I used to keep a list of things to do. And as a surgeon, there were like five-minute lists, half-hour lists, because if I was on call, I couldn't start something that was going to take half an hour. There might be an emergency. So I'd have a five-minute list. And then I realized, hey, dumbbell, throw the damn list away. If something needs to be done, you'll remember and you'll do it instead of letting a, a list run your life. So, again, to let people understand not to let other things control their lives in terms of what they're doing each minute – Uh, And not to worry what everybody else thinks. What's important is how does your heart feel? What does your heart think? I was emailing a lawyer today whose dog died, and he wrote an article in the newspaper. So I sent him several of my stories and things I've done, you know, in dealing with uh, lost pets, and he thanked me. And I said, you're not a normal lawyer. Now, why? Because here's a lawyer who has feelings. I sent him Mm -hmm. a quote from another lawyer who wrote, I came to a conclusion that was eminently reasonable, totally logical, and completely wrong. Because while learning wow. to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Okay? And that's what we all have to do. Let your heart make up your mind. Pay attention to feeling.
2: That was very powerful. Talk about the wisdom of the unconscious.
3: Uh, the unconscious knows well, Jung put it this way the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So if you go to a mystic who tells you what's going to happen, they're reading your consciousness. But what I saw, uh, why I talk about the art of healing, because literally art, that when you drew pictures, it's very similar to a dream. What comes forth is what has been hidden in you. See? And now that your intellect is turned off uh, when you're sleeping or creating a picture with a bunch of crayons or paint, um, then the unconscious can come out and speak. And literally, our lives are stored in our bodies. Um, and so numbers become significant. As a matter of fact, somebody drew a broken heart, 21 drops of blood coming from it. It looks like a valentine heart. This is a woman with pelvic problems that no doctor was able to relieve her of. And one of them said that to me. And I said, oh, tell her to draw a picture. Well, what does she draw? A broken heart, 21 drops of blood. I said, ask her what happened when she was 21. And she, uh, it was a horror to read the email I got, uh, how many times she was sexually abused that year. See, now they know what's stored within her. Because Alice Miller, the psychologist, the end of a quote about our childhood stored up in our bodies is, Someday the body will present its bill, for it is as incorruptible as a child who, while still whole in spirit, will accept no compromises. And it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. So you've got to deal with what's within you in order to help your body heal. And again, sometimes the words are the symbols. Someone who's going to be admitted to the hospital with severe headaches. Um, and I w- happened to be nearby, and I heard that. So I walked in to the woman to help her relieve the pain. Because this, this was in another doctor's office, and they were waiting for a ride to the hospital. I thought, let me try to help her. And I dealt with, again, uh, started a meditation asked her what the pain felt like, and she said, oh, it's pressure. So then I worked at relieving the pressure in her life. I didn't ask her what it was because she wasn't my patient. Um, But if she were my patient, I would have said, okay, what else in your life fits that word? But after about 15 minutes of meditating and visualizing, uh, I left her feeling better. And then the nurse came over to me a few minutes later and said, she's going home it's her marriage that impressed me getting her to understand where the pain and the pressure was coming from allowed her to now go home and fix it rather than end up in the hospital and have pain treated so I always say to people how would you describe your experience what are you going through and I say think of the negative words you come up with and what else in your life is draining you confusing you uh now if they say oh it's been a wake up call wow this is a new beginning fine see then they're on the right path but the negative words i say what else in your life needs to be eliminated and and in an extreme way i know so many people who when they accepted the fact they were going to die you know they were real survivors but they got to a point where okay i agree with my doctor you know i'm exhausted um not enjoying life anymore. So what did they do? They went and lived what I call their chocolate ice cream, um, from literally buying a house on the ocean to sit and meditate, to going to Colorado to die in the mountains, to getting a dog and putting in a backyard wildlife habitat. I mean, I don't make up any of these stories. None of those three people died when they were supposed to. Uh, I called up said, hey, how come I wasn't invited to the funeral? And who answered the phone, though, was the man I thought was dead. He said, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. And then we both <laughs> end up laughing. But, um, yeah, and the lady who got a dog and back out wildlife habitat, is a whole page, all the things she did. But at the bottom of the page, why she wrote to me was, I didn't die now, I'm so busy, I'm killing myself. Help, where do I go from here? But, you see, what they did was give their body what I call a live message. Love your life, love your body. That, I would say, includes everything I have to tell anybody about what to do. Um, and it isn't about not dying. It's about loving your life and your body. Um, then again, but your body realizes We often have shows
2: about the power of the mind, what you think about, you bring about. But I think you include in your recipe for healing is how important feelings and emotions yeah. are as well.
3: Yeah, because your body is, as I said, getting a message. People understand this. It's very simple. You ask any adult, what's the, you know, what day of the week is the worst day of the week? Oh, Monday. Yes, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses on Monday. See, but if people got up loving their life, Monday's not a threat to you. And I found it fascinating once when I was lecturing at a business where they have a health day. And I was invited as a guest to speak. And one of our grandchildren was there. And I said to the audience, what day of the week is bad for your health? And Sam yells, Saturday. And (laughs) I said, perfect, Sam. Because everybody, all the adults in the room are, you know, yelling Monday. I said, you understand, there's the message. He gets tired on Saturday doing what he loves, running around, playing. So he thinks it's bad for your health. But it isn't he just gets tired and needs a rest but for the adults yeah it's your attitude that makes a difference and that's another of my themes a man one evening came up to me and he had a pin on that was the word attitude and he said when i'm not and he had cancer he said if i'm not doing you know all the things you're telling me to do uh, my wife comes over and takes the pin in her fingers and gives it a twist and says honey Straighten out your attitude. Um, And I thought that was such a wonderful thing. See, she's not criticizing him. She's giving him, you know, the coaching message. Because coaches tell you how to become better at what you're doing. They don't say, you're a failure. You did it all wrong. It's, let me show you a better way of doing this. And I often say, if you want a good doctor, find one who's criticized by patients, family, and nurses. Because they're listening to the criticism and seeing it as coaching and don't make excuses and uh you know so don't be afraid to listen and say thank you to people uh when they tell you what you're doing wrong because they're trying to help you now as i said if somebody comes up and says you're a mess you're a failure that that that's not a coach that doesn't help you but as one woman said to me because uh, i walk into the room thinking about how to help her And it was a serious situation. And she said, what's wrong? I said, what do you mean? She said, your face, all the wrinkles. I mean, you look so tense. I said, yeah, I'm thinking about how to help you. She said, think in the hallway and smile when you come in here. Now, you see, she she was telling me how to be a better doctor. Because if I hadn't been in the bed, you know, and experienced what she's experiencing, then I don't have a sense of what she's going through. So those are the kinds of things... uh, and the nurses were always telling me how to do a better job with the patients because they knew I cared. See, that's, that's what I learned. When I said to one of the nurses, what's wrong with me? She said, what do you mean? Eh, you're always criticizing me. She said, no, you're one of the better doctors. We know you listen, so that's why we criticize and tell you. The other doctors all make excuses. We don't talk to them anymore. But you don't make an excuse. You listen. And that made me feel a lot better, uh, you know, about what they were telling me. And uh, so I'd say keep your mind open. I just want to say while
2: you're talking about listening, uh, in the words of our health guru is why you folks should be listening to our show every day. Today we have the remarkable Dr. Bernie Siegel, who's world-renowned. Every day we offer you something to make a difference in your life. So here's why it's important to listen every day.
0: Listen to me. I have something to say about a wonderful way to start your day. A way to stimulate your mind and increase your energy, make you feel so good. And guess what? It's free. Weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, hear the Joyce, Barry, and Friends show. You'll find it on the Internet on Blog Talk Radio. This show is upbeat and fun and very inspirational. It's informative, educational, and very motivational. There's the Coach's Corner, great quotes and news. There are suggestions, perspectives, and advice you can use to enhance your life and improve your health, plus clever, simple ways to increase your wealth. Joyce's perceptions and personality will keep you captivated, and her guests, from many walks of life, will always keep you fascinated. When Joyce and her friends speak, it's like you're in the conversation. This is part of what makes her show so unique, really, a sensation. For Joyce's friends are not only the guests you're listening to, They're everyone who is tuning in. Yes, I do mean you. So refer your friends and family. They'll be so pleased to know. And let's make Joyce Barry and Friends the number one internet radio show.
2: And, folks, we do ask that you partner up with us in having that happen. Simply go to JoyceBarryandFriends.com, Barry, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, JoyceBarryandFriends.com. Right under my picture on the upper left side, it says follow. And you can click on that, and you will be apprised of every show, every guest, every topic. You need not miss any show, because if you can't join us When we are live at 11 a.m. Eastern, you can go to our archives 24-7 and hear any show. And I'm going to go to the studio lines, and we have here Country Boy, who does a lot of listening, (laughs) because he's very well-rounded and knowledgeable. Good morning, Country Boy.
4: (laughs) Good morning, Joyce. I, I came on a little late, and I started hearing the gentleman talk. And I started looking for stuff to write on and just let him know I got five napkins worth of notes. And I'm thinking, who is this man? Who is this man? I can't write fast enough. And then when you mentioned this name just now, I wasn't disappointed, Mr. Siegel,
3: but I go, oh. Well, let me say something. (laughs) You're, you know, men... Are, are into what they can do. I've had men in the office say, there's no point in living, I can't work anymore. See, and women are saying, I can't die till all the kids are married and out of the house. Oh, and yes. it's so unusual, <laughs> you know, for men to be comfortable with feelings. I'm seeing a change. Years ago, when I'd run, running all the support groups, if a husband showed up, which was rare, you'd say, why are you here? I'm her chauffeur. You know, not I love my wife and she's dealing with cancer, <laughs> but I'm her chauffeur. Um, and everybody in the room would laugh. And they'd say, "What's well, funny because your answer, that's all we hear. Today, we have husbands in the group who say, I care about my wife. And it's so nice to see that happening. So I'd say, keep doing what you're doing and don't just live in your head. Because, again, uh, why I never stop talking. You ask men, draw a picture of yourself, and you get ahead head. That's all. One man was a male engineer. I said, please draw a picture. He wrote a page of instructions on how to draw a, his picture. There's no picture, just words all over the page. But when we pointed out what his, you know, attitude was like and what his brain was like, if he's living that way, uh, it changed him. And his family really appreciated it. That. Uh, you know when he wrote a page of instructions he realized what is wrong with me you know uh and i got to stop thinking and start feeling and uh pay attention to more than uh, what i think
2: excuse me uh, doctor i just want to go back to country boy for a moment because one of the things about him is that he really does like to help people and network and and he's very spiritual and all of the above. So uh, is there anything uh, you want to ask Dr. Siegel or comment on?
4: Well, I got one comment and one question, Joyce, so you can go back to what you guys are doing. But, Mr. Siegel, I was raised by women and a 103-year-old grandmama, so I am a very feeling kind of sensitive person. Uh, she taught me certain things about spiritual meditation, I guess you guys were talking about, and my grandmama used to call it steal away. You said it doesn't matter if you have to sneak out and tell me i got to be at the restroom, I'll be back right shortly. But I'm one of those persons who talks to the wind, the water, the water and the sky every day. Is my family never. But one of my questions was, doctor, uh, before I make my uh, put the question out there, Joyce, I have one more thing I wanted to say. When you talked about that integrity, that character that one builds, when you, even when you're angry. One of the things that my grandmama says, you build your character when you're going to run into somebody that you may never see again. Somebody that that can't help you and you can't help them, but your character's built when nobody else is watching. So I don't understand that, that it's a blessing to be a blessing and you can bless people even if nobody's watching. But here's my question, Mr. Stig- uh, Stigl, uh I've been, people we've been taught that we can't do what we have not been taught, but most people have been taught about the word sympathy when someone feels badly for someone else. Empathy when you are able to relate to that feeling that that's so even you put yourself in their shoes. But, What can you tell me about apathy? Because I've been running into a lot of people lately, Joyce, when you have the solution to the person's problem and you present it to them and they refuse
3: it when they don't want to be made well. That's what my question is. is the solution and why it happens. What's the opposite of love? Hate. No. And not Fear. The opposite of love is indifference, rejection, rejection,
4: abuse. Abuse. You could use the word
3: apathy. These people have not grown up with love, so they don't understand what you're talking about. And all the headlines we're reading are about the revenge those people want. Why do you go in and kill people in a school, in a business? Why do you blow a bomb up at the Boston Marathon? Because of how my parents treated me. And I'm going to get revenge now. Believe me, that's true. If every child grew up with love, we wouldn't be having any of the problems we're having now. And what you reminded me of, I don't know if you ever came across his name, Eknath Eswaran. He's he's dead, but he started something called Blue Mountain uh, Retreat. Spiritual fellowship, spiritual... Reading, meditation, but he was always talking about what his grandmother taught him. See, it's the grandparent who often has learned from their troubles and their lifetime. So they can love their grandchild. While well, the child isn't very grand to the parents, but it's a grandchild to the mother. And I often say to people if you don't want to imitate, an animal in terms of how you behave, imitate a grand mother and that we can reparent each other. Um, when you have any, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, your own biological family member, but when you start loving, see, I, I have seen it with my patients. I started <clears throat> telling self-destructive people, addicts, to come back to the office in a week or two. And after a while, they'd look at me like, how come you're not telling me to get the hell out of here? I don't do a damn thing you tell me to do. They began to realize he loves me, okay? What I became for one suicidal kid was a CD. What's a CD? A chosen dad. So there are people alive today because I said, I love you, I'll be your new father. And when they realized they were worth something, they started taking care of themselves. Um... But when they've been rejected their whole life, they're, you know, you become the drug addict, you're 200 pounds overweight, you know, you're rewarding yourself or you're revenging yourself against the world that was so cruel to you.
2: Uh, So love yourself and the world. That was very (laughs) powerful indeed. You talk about the placebo effect and the nocebo effect. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, the, I learned also you can deceive people into health. On my website, berniesiegelmd.com, there's an article called Deceiving People Into Health. I did a lot of children's surgery, and I realized the kids believed my words. I was their doctor. And so I began to lie to children. Why? Because then they'd feel better. You can take a vitamin pill and call it, an anti-nausea pill, and then they take it and don't experience nausea after the treatment. Um, you can lie to kids and say, this alcohol sponge is a new one. It will numb your skin. You won't feel the needle. And the kids would look up and say, why didn't the other doctors use it? <laughs> and oh, <laughs> the funniest one was saying to kids in the, opera- in the emergency room, you'll go to sleep when you go in the operating room. The kids fell asleep being wheeled into the operating room. That blew my mind, you know, that they were interpreting it not about anesthesia but about sleep, and it became hysterical. I mean, everybody in the operating room would burst out laughing when Siegel showed up with his child because the kid would fall asleep and not have any trouble being anesthetized, though some kids would yell at me and say, I sleep on my stomach. Why are you turning me over? But but that's how literally they took it. So again – Doctors are not trained to talk to people. One of our kids, no coincidences, he came home from school, an art class. The whole canvas was covered with the word words. Think about this. You write words, 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 with no space between the words on the canvas. And I realized they became swords, 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 swords. So what's a placebo? Words used in a therapeutic way. What's a nocebo, words used as swords, telling people all the troubles they're going to have, when they're going to die. Think of the commercials on television. What do you hear? This is good for headaches, but you could have a heart attack, cancer, death. You know, that's the problem. Who the hell wants that pill? (laughs) I'd rather have a headache. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) but. When you know how to talk to people, it's very different than telling them all these things could happen to you. Because 30% of people, and why we need controlled studies, 30% of people do well when they believe in the treatment. That's the placebo average. So if 30% of people do well, it doesn't mean a damn thing that it's not the medication. But if you had 60 or 70% improving, I'd say, yeah, now you're doing it right you know, the medication is helping them.
2: Did you make up the word no SIVO, N O C E D O is that Oh no,
3: no, that I mean somebody brain? else came up with it. I didn't make it up, right.
2: <clears throat> but it's very powerful nonetheless.
3: Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, but as I say, we, we need to be trained to communicate uh so that our words are life enhancing. Uh, especially with patients under fear. And they also found how beneficial humor is. I mean, again, studies that are done. You have a heart attack, a home to a house with a dog. A year later, 6% of the people died if they had a dog in the house. 24% died 12 months after their heart attack if there was no dog in the house. You take actors, you give them a comedy and draw their blood. Immune function increases, stress hormone levels go down give them a tragedy, and the opposite happens. The immune function goes down, stress hormone levels go up. That's why I say our feelings are not just feelings. They're changing what's within us. And I learned at the hospital, yeah, I acted what I call very childlike to get people to laugh in the midst of all kinds of problems because as soon as they laughed, fear was gone. So you say, what's the opposite of humor and laughter? I'd say fear uh, and hate, because when you're laughing, you can't be afraid. I mean it, literally. The fear just goes, and you're not hating anybody because now you're laughing and having fun. And so all those things get washed away as your chemistry within you is changed. And uh, you can also laugh for no reason. That's beneficial, too, and it's been shown to improve survival. You laugh every three hours for no reason. Watch how you feel. You know, again, I always mention walking the dog. Yeah, I test all these things. You're going out for a walk with the dog and you start laughing. So nobody will think you're nuts. You know, they don't know you don't have anything to laugh at. Um, And you notice a few minutes later, it's hard to stop laughing, and you're feeling better. And nothing has happened except you've done this crazy thing of laughing for a few minutes. So when you're not feeling good, laugh.
2: Excuse me. In order to effectively battle illness, we must get in touch with our inner selves and work towards Mm -hmm. the goal of survival by using everything available to us, seen and unseen. Is this where the belief in miracles come in?
3: Yeah, they're not miracles. Because miracles don't have an explanation. In his book, Cancer Ward, Solzhenitsyn used the term self-induced healing. Say, Where did he come up with that? He didn't call it a spontaneous remission, which a doctor calls it. But again, if it's spontaneous, how do you help your next patient have one? And the terminology and description he used about self-induced healing was a rainbow-colored butterfly. And I, when I read that, I said, yeah, you and I have the same beliefs. The butterfly is a symbol of transformation. The rainbow, each color representing an emotion, shows your life in order. So remember the stories I told a while ago. You think you're going to die, and you go get your life in order, do the things you love. You start living your chocolate ice cream, is the way I put it. And you notice, hey, I didn't die when I was supposed to. Because your body gets the message. It's self-induced. All healing is self-induced. So learn from survivors. You know, I'm not talking about all of us being immortal. We're all going to die someday. But you want to live your longest, healthiest life. See, learn from survivors. And again, there's something on my website called immune-competent personality from a psychiatrist years ago when he was working with AIDS patients. He found there's a personality to the people who do well. I found the same thing with cancer patients, you know. So again, help them. You see, if you said to your doctor, "How can I live my longest, healthiest life?" Most doctors say, "Well, you know, go home and take care of yourself." Well, simple things, relationships, healthy diet, activity, all of those enter into it. But so do expressing feelings, asking for help. Not living a role, you know, living an authentic life, uh, making decisions about your own treatment. Um, it's play in your life. I mean, there's, it, you know, I can go on with the list, but it's all those things. And so when you start doing them, it makes a difference. Yeah, and faith can be one of them too. I've had people, this is a quote. I don't make up, you know, stories. I mean, these are all from patients. Uh, Her cancer disappeared. She had gone home to die, came back with no sign of cancer. What would you do? I left my troubles to God. Now, how many people are capable of leaving (laughs) their troubles to God, you know? Uh, We'd all be keeping God so busy. Uh, But again, it was her attitude, the peace that came with it. And I know other patients, too, who should be dead decades ago, who found faith. And with that faith, it changed them physically, too. So I keep literally learning from them. They became my teachers, and I'm just passing the word on.
2: Well, I know you believe in miracles because you've got many books with that in the title. Folks, once again, you want to go to the website. That would be BernieSegalMD.com. Uh, so you want to check it out. You can see the books. They're all awesome, each and every one. And speaking of awesome books and you being awesome, he is one of your big fans that I know. Peter, uh, you're on with Dr. Siegel. Is there anything you want to ask him or comment on?
5: Well, I wanted to uh, come on to tell you what a dynamic, wonderful radio show uh, you are doing with Dr. Siegel. And as usual, Dr. Siegel, I'm one of your biggest fans. I've read your books and you have helped me tremendously in my uh, private practice to uh, deal with patients and clients that have been diagnosed with a terminal illness or cancer. And I want to thank you for not only for your wisdom and your knowledge, but the antecedents, the stories that you uh, tell on the Joyce Barry and Friends show are just wonderful. You're a Sam. I think you're an amazing uh, healer. And I'm just in awe of how you have been able to help your clients and uh, people that I speak to have told me personally that you have in many ways um, been provided them with a panacea and emotional hope to overcome their cancer and their uh, terminal il- illness.
3: Yes, hope is real. There's no false hope. Hope is not about statistics. You know, when you think about the lottery, you don't have a good chance of winning, but some people do. And the same is true with everything else. And again, you know, I mentioned parenting. What I found was the biggest problem was when you say to people, come on, you know, there is hope. Yeah, but if I don't get well, then I failed again. You know, it had so much to do with their fear of participating, of being a loser, of doing it wrong, because their parents had hypnotized them into that way of thinking. You know, you're a failure. You embarrass us. You never get anything right. So when Siegel comes along and says, here, draw me a picture, read this book, And come to a meeting, well, you know, uh, no, I'm not an artist. I, I don't have time to read books. And I mean it. Those are, again, things that people said to me. And it was so sad. So I try, as I said, to reparent them and let them know I care. And it's not about failing or fighting a war. You know, you don't create an enemy. You work at healing. That's a very different situation. I'm working at healing. And to have the courage to take on the challenge of the statistics. Uh, because what I like is when people get angry. See, when the people, patient uh, is told by the doctor, you'll be dead in a week. Yeah, I'll be here next month. You know, <laughs> versus going home, getting into bed, and uh, dying in two days. Because I've seen that happen too. But uh, don't be afraid of failing. Participate in your life. It's your life. So go ahead and participate. You can reparent yourself too. And I think all of us, teachers, doctors, um, politicians, you know, if you let the world know I love you, uh, we help a lot of people that way uh, than if we are criticizing everybody and telling them how to do it right.
2: Dr. let me say this. You know, w- wait, you.
3: Wait, a- wait one minute, Joyce. Because something else okay. just popped into my head, I wanted to say to you when you talked about miracles. Yes, I have a, one is a book of miracles. See, these are things that happened for no with no explanation. But the thing that I realized how you do make a miracle happen because after reading all these stories that people sent in, I realized the common theme was they chose life. Now, what do I mean by that? They chose a life that was life-enhancing for everyone. So they weren't being selfish. They weren't saying, what do I want to do in the last two weeks of my life? But it was more than that. It's how can I contribute to the world and to the life of everyone I know in the last two weeks so that I benefit and everyone else benefits. Now, that's when amazing things happened when they were living that life-enhancing life. So I, as the Bible says, I place before you life and death, good and evil, choose life. But choosing life, as I said, is not about your own personal interests, but about how to make everyone on this planet a part of your family and let them benefit from whatever you choose to do.
2: Doctor, I really want to ask you this question. When you are, uh, this is your quote, I'm quoting from you. When you are happy with your life the way it is now, the whole world belongs to you. How can you have someone who uh, is diagnosed with a terminal disease, how can you say that they can possibly be happy with their life the way it is at that moment?
3: You work at it. That is a line from Lao Tzu. I say it every morning and every day when I help my wife to exercise. Because she's had MS for like 50 years. And so we do a certain routine going up and down flights of stairs and things. And what Lao Tzu, I don't know where I found this quote. He said, um, I rejoice in the way things are. I am content with what I have. And when I realize nothing is lacking, the whole world belongs to me. So I say that. I am content with what I have. I rejoice in the way things are. Nothing is lacking. The whole world belongs to me. And I realize it's true. I always say I won the lottery of life. Now, how do you win that? By making a difference in someone else's life. Doing something real. That's a little story I wrote, and I don't know where I came across that term. But when you make a difference in someone else's life, you're doing something real at last. And then your life becomes very meaningful too. And you'll feel the difference. And you'll say thank you for everything.
2: I get that as someone that I think every day of what can I do to make a difference, one person at a time, one positive action at a time. But with posed with this question, if somebody is going through a major trauma, a major illness, I can't imagine the words to say to them to have them be happy with their life the way it is at that moment. They go into it, depression and frustration and anger as well. That's their choice.
3: Say, why do you want to waste your lifetime if you have a day to live? This is a Woody Allen line. A guy is totally depressed. His friend says, What are you doing Saturday night? I'm committing suicide. How about Friday night? See? <laughs> now I had I was a police surgeon in New Haven, <laughs> Connecticut for many years. Uh, And the policeman called me up and said, Dr. Siegel, I'm committing suicide. This is over the phone. So what the hell am I supposed to do? So I said to him, (laughs) Jimmy, you commit suicide, I'll never talk to you again. (laughs) Guess who showed up in the office mad as hell at my insensitive, uncaring comment until I said to him, do you realize you're not dead? he, He was mad as hell at me. And then he smiled and we became lifetime friends. So, again, it's, you know, what do you want to do with the time you have? You want to sit around bitching and moaning and complaining? Or you want to say, let me have a few, you know, a little fun, a few good minutes. Then you may decide, let me try a few more minutes. Um, And, and again, it's all attitude. Let me give you a quote from somebody who worked in the hospital because I used to give gifts to people who did nice things in the hospital. But I would do it without their knowing in this sense. I'd walk up and gruffly say, what's your name? And they'd look at me like, what the hell did I do? You know. So they would tell me their name, and then I made a pin for them with their name on it with a rainbow behind it. And I'd give it to them as a gift and say thank you. So it created what I call the subversive organization in the hospital. But anyway, this secretary had a wonderful effect on everybody around her. And she was sitting on the floor at the front desk where all the patients would come. And I said to her, what's your name? She said, why do you want to know? (laughs) I said, you're the only one who's ever had the courage to ask. I want to give you a gift. Sit down. And I sit down. She said, let me tell you a story. I've been here for several years. She said, when I took the job, I hated it. I couldn't stand the doctors and nurses and how they treated everybody. So I went to the office. I said, I quit. I'm going home. You can't quit. You have to give two weeks' notice. It's in your contract. I got up every day miserable for two weeks. The last day, I got up happy. I went to work happy, and I noticed something. Everybody around me was happy, so I didn't quit. I decided to come in happy. That's your choice, folks. You know, I, I used to read a lot about concentration camp survivors and others going through all kinds of you know, horrific problems. Because, the, well, what's his name? Uh, Viktor Frankl. To live is to suffer. To survive is to find meaning in the suffering. And who was more likely to survive a concentration camp? The inmate who was helping the other inmates. Or um, the one who said to the guard, who was deciding where who to send to the gas chamber, he said to the guard, Ich liebe dich, I love you. And... Who do you think the guard then sends to the gas chamber? You see, the person yelling and cursing him for what he's doing or the one who says, I love you. So I learned to become a love warrior. You want to drive people crazy? Love them. And I, I mean that literally. Somebody's screaming at you for taking their parking space? Lower your window and say, I love you. They don't know what to do with you. <laughs> Dr. Um,
2: Siegel, I could talk to you for another five hours, and that's just today. We'll have to have you on much more often. But what are your uh, <laughs> words that you want to leave our audience with today?
3: It, well, from somebody I know who should have died and got well, when you live in your heart, magic happens. She said, I wrote that on a piece of paper and put it with a magnet on my refrigerator. So put that one up. When you live in your heart, magic happens.
2: And miracles as well.
3: Yeah. Oh,
2: so, first of all, I want to just say that it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I highly recommend each and every book that you have, which, folks, you can find out about by going to Bernie Siegel, that's S-I-E-G-E-L-M-G.com. Uh, there is no wrong choice when you choose one of the books because they're all fantastic. And, folks, uh, in closing, I want to share my special poem for all of you. Make this the last day, the very last day of your struggles, your suffering, your ill health, your misfortunes, your problems, your pain, your worries, your troubles, your trials and tribulations. May this be the first day. It is the first day of the rest of your life. May it be the beginning of the very best of your life with extraordinary wishes granted and dreams coming true. Make this the most meaningful year of making more money, good health, good luck, good fortune, attracting special people and opportunities, creating magical memories, and manifesting marvelous miracles. folks. It's important to laugh. It's important to have humor in your life. It's important to stay positive. So, on that note, I invite you all to sing along with us, dance along with us, and laugh along with us. And you can start that right here, right now, with the Joyce Barry Mass. God bless you.
1: Do the Joyce Barry Mesh. Have a fantastic day and listen to Joyce Barry and friends.